These were the passages that I read on the very first Founders Day. And we want to review them today. Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9, 3, 1 through 4, and then 4, 19 through 24. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua and the son of Nun, Moses' assistants, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward going down to the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. The people came out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You may be seated. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. My wife's name is Nancy, and if you know her, she, you know that she's a special education teacher by trade. Part of being a special education teacher is you have to diagnose learning disabilities. So you see something in a child and you have some sort of diagnosis if there's if that's necessary. Well, she's had a chance to live with me for 20 years and she's had plenty of opportunities to diagnose disabilities in her husband. And she says, I have a construction disability. She feels relatively certain that if something's wrong in our house and it can't be fixed by just a hammer, then I should not attempt to fix it in any way, shape or form. Because typically I make things more difficult than actually making things better. But even though she has a good eye for the obvious and she gives an accurate diagnosis, one summer I decided to put up a fence. And as you would have it, you would say to yourself, you'd be convinced, hey, this is a simple project. That's the first thing that comes out of anybody's mouth that really isn't qualified to do anything. This is going to be simple. And so what I did was I had the reason I knew it was going to be simple was all I was going to do is just build one line to a fence. I was not going to try to connect it. I was not going to try to do a gate. I wasn't going to try to do anything that I thought was complicated. All I had to do is put in nine posts in a straight line and the fence came already pre-assembled. It was just a five foot panel. You put it up to the post, you hammer in each side and voila, it's all done. Anybody, a chimp could do this. So I'm not going to hire somebody to do it. So I sink my nine posts, put the cement in and I put up my first panel and I'm holding it and I tack in one side and I tack in the other and then I stand back. It looks good. And then I measure it just where I thought it was supposed to be, except for on sort of the receiving end. It was just a quarter of an inch high. I had a line, but it was just a quarter of an inch high. Well, a quarter of an inch high you could not see. And I tacked it up. I did a victory dance. I shout to the Lord in my backyard that, yes, I'd gotten this first panel up and I was on to the second panel. And so I put my second panel up and I realized, well, you know, I got it a quarter of an inch. So I'm going to start a quarter of an inch off. And I just assumed that when you got down to this end, you'd be a quarter of an inch off as well. But I noticed that if I if I got the fence flush with this end, the foundational end, at a quarter of an inch off. By the time I got up to this end, now I had a fence that was rising out of the ground and was now four inches off the ground. Well, four inches off the ground, you could see. And being a college graduate, I could determine that if I put the third panel up that was four inches off the ground, soon I'd be 30 feet off the ground is what I can thought. So I thought, you know, the neighbors are going to notice that right away. That as the uh, fence goes down the line, it rises 30 feet into the air. And so what I learned, and it's the same thing you learn and you learn over and over again, is that if you don't have the foundation right, even if it's just a quarter of an inch, 
even if it just seems like no one's going to notice. As you move away from the foundation, that quarter of an inch over time, the gap begins to widen. So that it's possible that in the end, you don't really have anything at the end that looks like what you tried to have at the beginning. That was the opening illustration that I gave, true story, at our first Founders Day. And I've said it every Founders Day since. And what I want us to do, and what we've done each of these last five years, is to go back to that sermon and just remember some of the basic principles of why we got started. Why I believe God called Christ Community Church to exist, and they're just biblical principles. But we always want to go back to that foundation, because if we're off a quarter of an inch anywhere, we want to readjust now. Because in a hundred years, none of us are going to be sitting in this congregation. But if the Lord tarries, then there'll be a whole new group of people and we want them to be at the same foundation. We don't want them to be now miles away, as you see in many churches today. So let's go back to that. The first Founders Day. Paul Snyder ordered some barbecue and some T-shirts. We met right out here at the picnic shelter. And to be a founding member, to become a member of the church, all you had to do. No inquires weekend. All you had to do is you've had to have come since we started in the March and you would had to listen to me lead the singing a cappella. So the first couple of Sundays I stood up with a hymnal. We all stood up and I said, OK, let's just give it a shot. So I knew that if someone came back, there was a work of the Lord afoot. I was positive of that. And so we did that. And then I had never preached a sermon, of course. So you just had to cut your teeth. As I was cutting my teeth on these, this new idea of somebody standing up and giving a sermon. That was new for me. And you thought an inquirer's weekend was bad. That's a piece of cake compared to listening to me do these sermons and lead you singing a cappella for, for 12 weeks. Well, if you made it through that gauntlet and you came out, you got a free barbecue sandwich and a free T-shirt. And we had members of Christ Community Church. That's how we really began. And when we began that time, we went back to this particular sermon and we wanted to sort of think about what do we always want to keep in mind? We don't want to keep Paul singing every week. We were certain about that, but there were some characteristics that we wanted to keep. And three of those that I'm going to mention today are God's chosen leadership, God's word and people with courage. Three of the things, there would be more we could talk about, but the three I want to talk about is God's chosen leadership, God's word, and people that have courage. It's helpful to remember because new people come along. And you saw that in Joshua. Remember they crossed the dry land? And you would think, well, we're not going to possibly forget this event. Joshua has led these people across the River Jordan and they come out the other side. They've come across on dry land and and the Lord says, no, go get a stone out of the middle of the river and bring it out here and we'll set up this little altar. And so when people walk by here in the future, they'll say, now, how did these 12 stones get here? And somebody will tell the same story and say, this is what God did. So we're remembering those three things today. First of all, God's chosen leadership. You know, God could establish his church and bring glory to his name in any number of ways. But one of the primary ways you see it biblically and historically is he begins by choosing a leader. 
Abraham, Moses, in this case, Joshua. If you flip to the New Testament, you'll see John the Baptist or Peter or Paul or Timothy. And through church history, you could read about Augustine, Calvin, Wesley. The list is endless. Ravi Zacharias says this about leadership. Listen closely. There are no bona fide mass movements. It just looks that way. At the center of the column is a man or a woman who knows their God and where their God is going. There is no abstract movement that is moving ahead. There are individuals who are moving ahead and therefore the cause of Christ is going forward. At the center of the column is a man or a woman or a group of leaders who knows their God and where their God is going. The church doesn't just happen. It's not just a, a mass movement somehow. In every mass movement, there's a center of the column. And that person or that small group of people are moving ahead. And because they're moving ahead, the cause of Christ is moving forward. And there's two reasons this is important to you, especially if you're a member here at Christ Community Church. Two things that we're going to look at in terms of the characteristics of the leadership and the reasons they're important for you as a member of Christ Community Church is first, as a member, you're responsible for putting the pastor in this place. I am not going to be here forever. And whether that's a year or 10 years or 25 years, the members of Christ Community Church are going to have to say, this is the leader that we want. It's not going to be me replacing myself. It's going to be you all saying, this is the kind of man we must have to lead our church, to continue the same foundation. That's your responsibility. And secondly, you see the quote from Les Newbegin on the front of the bulletin. You don't need to read it right now. And I just want to read a portion of it to you. The church is an entity which has outlasted many states, nations and empires. And it will outlast those that exist today. The church is bound to challenge in the name of the one Lord, all the powers, ideologies, myths, assumptions and worldviews which do not acknowledge him as the Lord. So in world history, the column, the center of world history, no matter what your history books may say, the center of the column is the church. And the church is moving forward through history. And you, as a member of the church, you're at the center of the column. So we're not just talking about a specific church here. We're talking about the church in general. And if you're a member of the church, Peter says this in first Peter, that you are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people. You are a holy nation and you are built to declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness. So at the center of human history is the church. That's the column And it's moving forward. So you as a leader have to examine your own leadership qualities as being a part of this church. The two characteristics that are important for us to look here when we see them in Joshua one, the Lord spoke to Joshua. The primary concern for the leader or the leaders 
is to listen to God and to lead from the word of God. The primary concern for the leader or the leaders is to listen to God and to lead from the word of God. And I say that in contrast to listening to the people and leading from what the people want. Now, those may be the same at some points, but there will be times when what the people want and what the word of God says are going to be in conflict. And the leaders must say we're leading from the word of God. Their primary concern is to be listening to God and leading out from his word. The leadership at Christ Community Church, me, the elders. We have to discipline ourselves not to be captured by politics and pleasures and power structures of the world. The easiest thing to do is to get a group of people in here and then just take people who are taking all the world structures and just bringing them in here and saying, we're just doing it like the world does it. We're not doing it that way here. We're doing it as the Bible would say that we have to do it. And it's very difficult for leaders, including myself, to often to say, no, we're not trying to do it as the world does it. We're only going to do it then as it intersects what God would have us to do. We can't afford to be distracted by novelty. We live in a church age that is consumed by novelty. What's the next big program? What are people sort of going for? What are they hungering for? What's your niche? It's just like the 7-Eleven. You do an assessment, you plant yourself down and you try to fill this niche. We're not trying to do novelty at Christ Community Church. We're not trying to fill in a niche. Jude says this, and this is what we're trying to do. Please exhort the people to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's what we're trying to do. We are trying to take the faith that has been delivered from before the foundations of the earth. And we're trying to take it here in Wilmington in the year 2007. And we're trying to, to deliver it to you so that you can contend for the faith. That's what we're trying to do. That's what every church should be trying to do. A couple of observations on that point. I think you would be pleased. I believe you would be pleased by the efforts of the elders. What I've just said is actually not a very easy task. You would think it would be easy. But it's very difficult to get into a room and begin to start discussing issues. And begin to say, no, I'm thinking biblically about this. I'm not thinking from my worldview or how I've done business. I'm trying to think about this from a biblical standpoint. No, I'm not going to be captured by novelty or the next program. I'm really trying to help our people to be able to contend for the faith. It's difficult. And so you should pray for your pastor and you should pray for your elders because the bigger the church gets, the more pressure there is to do things that are novel. Now, I'm not suggesting that we wouldn't have any programs, but the elders themselves must be listening to God and leading from God's word. 
And it's very easy, and I think easier the longer you're in the church, to just sort of snipe at the elders. Oh, I wouldn't do this. Well, I wouldn't have done that. You know, you're not in the meetings. You have no idea how difficult it is to really lead in the right way. So you should encourage, you should get behind these men and help them and say, we want you to listen to God. And whatever I have to say, I want to be led from the word of God. It may not have anything to do with what I would decide. I want you to lead me in that direction. And so you have to elect people like that as the congregation. Those are the people that we must have. Appreciated Paul Snyder's prayer this morning. We must have those people in order to maintain the foundation, because if we don't, it only takes a couple of people in a quarter of an inch and that all the people say, you know, that's just not that big of a deal. And in 10 years, you got split after split after split. Second characteristic of leadership is the leader must be a servant. You see this again in Joshua after the death of Moses. Okay, who's Moses? If you didn't know anything at this point, it says a servant of the Lord. That's the description of almost all the people in the Old and the New Testament. Paul says it about himself. I'm a servant of the Lord. Peter says that about himself. James says it about himself. If you read the book of Jude, Jude says it about himself. That's the major characteristic that you ought to be able to see in your leaders. Somebody who is a servant in the New Testament. The word leader is used less than 10 times. The word servant is used more than a thousand times. And so the character quality of your leader must be, and it must be obvious, he must be a servant. Jesus says ten in Mark ten forty five, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You remember this? Paul has gone to Corinth. He's left. And now he's writing back. He's heard back about what's happening in the church at Corinth. And there's all kinds of divisions. They've left the foundation and they've gotten fractured off. And you remember what the problem was? First Corinthians four. People had begun to say, well, you know, I'm following Paul. I'm well, I'm not following Paul. I'm following Peter. You know, he came before Paul. Or Apollos was new on the scene. He might have been the novel one. Well, I'm following Apollos. He seems to really have it right. And so now you have a church following Paul. Some are following Peter. Some are following Apollos. And Paul writes back and says, let men regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. If you're a servant in this with this word, the word means an oarsman. So if you're looking at Paul or you're looking at Peter or you're looking at Paulo, think about them, not at the helm saying, let's go this way. Think of them as an oarsman at the very bottom of the ship and nobody sees them. The only thing you see is an oar sticking out of the ship and rowing in whatever direction that the captain decides to steer the boat. That's what you are. That's what I am as a leader. What we're doing here is not determining the direction. We are servants rowing and allowing God to move us forward 
in the direction that he would have. We are a steward. We're just taking information or or information from one place to another. It's like a mailman. If you happen to write a letter to somebody, not an email, but if you can remember back when you actually wrote a letter or a card and you wrote a letter and you put it in your mailbox and the mailman comes and picks it up, you don't expect him to do this. Well, let's see what's written in here. And then he opens it up and says, I'm sure they didn't quite mean that. That's, I, let, hold on. And write something else in, lick it, put it back in and send it on. You expect them to take whatever you said and deliver it as a whole to the person that you, you meant to say it to. And that's exactly what we're doing. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to deliver the mail every Sunday. It's not rocket science. It's not novel. Well, it may be novel now. We're trying to get leaders who will listen to the Lord and come and be stewards of the mysteries of the universe that God Almighty has said in His Word. That's one of the characteristics of the leader. So we see that God chooses a leader. Secondly, we see that God uses His Word. If you were to build something straight, like a fence, the first thing you have to establish, you know what the first thing is? You have to establish a straight line. And you know what you do to that? You have a little nail at one end or a post, and then you have this, what's called a plumb line. It's got our chalk line. And you pull that chalk line down, and you say, okay, it's all even, and then you snap the cord, and there's a nice straight line. So as you build your fence or whatever you're building, you always go back. You don't eye it. You go back to the line. The line says it's straight, even if you don't think it's straight. And so you're always coming back to the plumb line. And the word that you often use for the Bible, the canon, that word means straight line. So what we're doing is we're bringing our crooked lives and we're pressing it up against the canon. We're pressing ourselves up against God's word and saying, I know I'm crooked or bent, but I need to press myself up against God's word. And Joshua gets sort of a verbal exhortation and sort of a visual exhortation to keep God's word out front. Look at the first one in Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Just listen and look at these words. Be careful to do all the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. That's one. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That's two. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That's three. Meditate on it day and night. That's four. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That's five. Five times in two verses, he's saying, keep coming back to the law. Don't forget God's word. Don't get over here and think, well, now I know what to do. Reminds me of this picture in the silver chair, if you remember this. If you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia and you plan on joining Christ Community Church, you might as well make that your summer project, okay? In the silver chair, which is a great book by Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, the first thing that happens is a girl named Jill comes in. She comes into Narnia and she's given some instructions. And she thinks she has the instructions right. She asks, she goes back, she doesn't get them quite right. She doesn't get them in the right order. 
And he and Aslan, the Christ figure, says, you got to remember these. you got to get them down. you got to say them morning, noon, and night. And then he says this, Aslan to Jill, pay no attention to appearances. Do not primarily pay attention to the things that you see out in the world. Remember the signs. Believe the signs. Nothing else matters. What's one of the things that's going to last forever, according to the Bible? The Word of God. Not your career. Not your home. Not your appearance. Not your bank account. Not a monument. Not a building. The Word of God It's as if nothing else matters. If you get that straight line down, then you can build the biggest building. But that doesn't happen to the people of God. They move away. And I want you to just hear these sad words from later in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. Imagine they've come across the Red Sea. They've been fed by manna. Forty years, their sandals haven't worn out. They finally get to the River Jordan. They come in and they conquer the land. The land is as God had said. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's everything they had imagined and even more. A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets, the pastor, lies. The priests, they rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. When you tell these people about the day of disaster. Why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster on us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? You say to them, you abandoned me and you did not keep my law. Ezekiel, who is now a prophet in exile, Living in Babylon. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out of the, brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. And it was full of dry bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. The bones were very dry. And he asked me, Ezekiel, how can these bones live? And I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What brings someone from death to life? It's not a pastor. It's not an evangelism track. It's not some program or method. It's the word of God that brings someone to life. That's the foundation in which you can build. That's what you have to keep pressing yourself back to and say, we want to hear the word of God. That's the direction that we want to go. And so when we come together here on Sunday mornings, we're not here to follow a person, whether it's me or somebody in church history. As valuable as they may be, we're here to follow Jesus Christ. The visual illustration 
Joshua gets the instructions. You're going to cross the river. And you're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? The law of God, the word of God. And I want there to be 2,000 cubics between you and the word. Why is that? Well, one is said in the text. Because you don't have any idea where you're going. And you need to say, okay, that's the way we're going. I'm watching it. I'm getting some distance between me and where God is so I can say that's the way to go. If I get up too close, I can't make the adjustment. The other thing is I don't want to get too close to the word of God and put myself too close to it because then you may be following me and you may not be following the word of God. And so we have to have the verbal exhortation. Be careful. We have to have the visual exhortation to say the Lord, the, the word of God is out front. So we have the word of God. We have the leaders. And finally, we have the call to the church from Matthew 16. And this I'll say in closing. Peter says, and we've said this a number of times in the last month, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, you're right. And I'm going to build my church on that statement that you are the Christ. And where is he going to build his church? Where's the prime piece of real estate that God has picked out to build his church on? Everybody's hungering for this piece of real estate. At the gates of. Of hell. Not on some mountain way off, displaced from what's happening in the world. No, not a building. I'm taking my people, a family, this small church, and my intent is to put them in the darkest place I could find on the earth. That's my intent. That's where I want my people to live. So it's going to take somebody who has a tremendous amount of courage. This is why we're talking about spiritual disciplines over the summer. Who could live there and prevail if you don't have the spiritual disciplines of knowing God's word and being with God? You're not going to prevail in those situations. One of the things that helps me when I think about this is just. Looking out at the world and the difficulties of our world, the difficulties that our own church has faced and will face, I'm encouraged by people who have gone before me, who have been people of courage, people at the center of the column, people who have kept the word out front. William Tyndall, you might know that name, is somebody who translated the Bible into English the first time into the print of English, found himself at the center of the column. In 1408, 600 years ago, believe it or not, the church, the church in England banned translating the Bible into English. You could not translate the Bible into English or you would be burned at the stake. And many were. And so William Tyndall, who realized that many of the priests, even at the time, did not know the word of God. And he would sit down with them at dinner and he'd say, you don't even know God's word. How do you expect the people to know it? And he said, I'm going to translate the Bible so even a common plowboy would know more of the Bible than you do as the priest. And he couldn't do it in England. So he had to go over to Germany in order to do it. He found himself only at 25 years old. 
at the center of the column. And he left his country, his home, never to come back to England again. And he basically lived on the run trying to translate the Bible. He moved from England in 1524. He never returned. In 1535, just 11 years later, he was betrayed by a good friend. He was captured. He was put in a dungeon. He shared the dungeon with rats and darkness and dampness. In one of his last letters, he wrote to an officer in the castle this. I beg your lordship that if I am to remain here through the winter, you will in kindness have sent to me from my own belongings a warmer cap. For I suffer greatly from cold in the head, a warmer coat, for this which I have is very thin. My overcoat and shirts are worn out, and I ask to be allowed to have a candle in the evening. It is indeed very wearisome to sit alone in the dark. But most of all, hear that? If you don't send me anything else. I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you by your mercy to be urgent that you would kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible. My Hebrew grammar book and Hebrew dictionary that I may spend my time in that study. Imagine meeting someone. Who understands that the word of God nourishes him like nothing else could. That kind of person can transform or be a transforming agent for God. Yes, he wants a cap. Yes, he wants a candle. There's nothing wrong with those things. But he'll take all of those away if you could just give him the word of God. I'm dying without the word of God. Tyndall left the dungeon one time to be tied to a stake. In mercy, he was choked to death before they lit the fire. And he died praying this prayer. I pray that the king of England, that his eyes would be open. If we want to be at the center of a column. Not for the glory of Christ Community Church. For the glory of Christ. We're going to have to be people who understand what it means to know the Bible in a way that it's our only life. We can't have anything else. Or if we have everything else minus the Bible, we're not going to live. We have to put godly men right here that are going to tell you the difficult things week after week. Right out of the Word of God. And we have to have a group of people that say it looks like we're getting a quarter of an inch off and we just can't live with that. Because we know if we do in five or ten years, we're going to have two or three different splits. And you and I are going to have to be people of courage. You're going to have to take the word of God and sit at the gates of hell and prevail. 
And the only way you're going to do that is if you're exercising what God has asked us to do. To digest the word of God so that when you're cut open, it just bleeds out of your body. Let's pray together. Lord, I would be afraid to think of my character compared to William Tyndall's. But my guess is William Tyndall would have been afraid of it himself. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit that consumed his being. And so none of these things are possible. What William Tyndall did or what the Apostle Paul did, except for the power of the Holy Spirit living in your people. We're not looking for heroes. We're not looking for novelty. We're not looking for people with their name in the marquee. We're looking for servants, oarsmen, who gladly take their hands off the wheel of their life and just row in the direction that you're moving. Lord, we're so thankful for Christ Community Church in the last five years. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it's a guide for us. It lights our path. But it's a path for people who have courage, who want to go and prevail at the gates of hell. And so I pray for these people especially these young people, college and high school, that you would send them out into the darkest places of this world. That they would come armed with the prevailing word of the Lord. And they would start another foundation in a dark place that would be like a great light. Lord, I pray that you would take our time You would take our talents, you would take our money and multiply it for your glory. In Jesus name. Amen.